In this episode of Balancing the Christian Life, I give a brief overview of the seven parts of spiritual maturity, and I'll give you a challenge to help you grow. Welcome to Balancing the Christian Life. I'm Kenny Embry. We'll figure out how to be better Christians and better people. Let's go. If you had to condense Christianity into one sentence, how would you do it? Let me give you a few seconds to think about that. If I asked you to come up with the essence of Christianity, what would you say? Get out a piece of paper and think about it. You might say, well, this is kind of ridiculous. One sentence. You can't really say anything meaningful in a sentence. Twitter used to be confined to 160 characters, or the length of a text message. And one of the things its critics used to say is you can't say anything meaningful in something that's so short. Except, Twitter became one of the most influential platforms for influencers. It's never been as widely adopted as Facebook or Instagram, but the people who are on it have figured out how to say a lot in a little. Creativity is born in constraints. I mean, if you want to know how far $10 will get you, only put $10 in your pocket, and it's amazing how far you can make it go. For me... I think I've gotten Christianity down to five words. Or let me ask the same question just a different way. You already know people you think are great Christians. You know people who, when you think of them, you're truly awestruck. They're the people in your past who may make you feel guilty because you're just not as good as him or her. Or they inspire you because they're decent people. I don't know exactly what makes you think of these people, but when I say good Christian or even good person, this is the person that comes to your mind immediately. They're patient, they're kind, they're supportive, they're humble, they're courteous, they're generous. They're always rooting for you to do the right thing. By the way, I mean, that's a list I stole from Paul in 1 Corinthians. The words you might use to describe them may sound kind of old-fashioned. Words like character, integrity, reliability, honesty, respect, or admiration. Their positions may have nothing to do with how much you value who they are. The people you may think about may or may not have money or power. They may be a relative or a teacher or a waitress or a janitor or a vice president, whatever. At my school, there was a woman who worked in the cafeteria who made omelets. Her food was great, but there was always a line that was many times longer than how many people really wanted an omelet. The students were wanting to see the omelet lady. She was the draw. I'm guessing you're not thinking of our omelet lady, but you are thinking about a few people here. They're people who you know make the world better by being there. Now, what is it about them that makes you think about them right now? Is it because they were perfect? You know the answer to that already. Of course they weren't. But there is something there. They always wanted you to become better. These are the people that wanted to help you grow. They wanted you to stop fooling around. They wanted you to take responsibility and live lives of meaning, and not simply of distraction or recreation. Do you have somebody in mind? Abigail Adams was the second first lady of the United States, and one of those people I, I kind of wish I would have been able to meet. Her husband was John Adams. Uh, one of her children was John Quincy Adams. Both of those guys were presidents of the United States. And she wrote a lot. As a matter of fact, just between her husband and her, they have over 1,100 letters. Imagine that, writing a 1,000 handwritten letters. My favorite quote from Abigail is one where she condensed Christianity, in my opinion, into a sentence. She wrote in a letter to a friend, To be good and do good is the whole duty of man comprised in a few words. I like that. I think it's concise. I think the language is simple. And I think it sums up a lot. Quite honestly, I'm stealing her line at the end of my podcast. A second person I think a lot about is Daniel from the Old Testament. We're not really told much about Daniel and his beginning life. I always kind of pictured him as a college-age kid at the beginning of the book where he's taken away from everything he knows to a land where he is basically a slave. He's just someone who figured out Christian maturity before there even was a Christianity. Without lecturing, without the internet, he made an important mark. He's the one who started me thinking that there are at least seven different but related parts to growing up spiritually. Now, those seven ideas are these. Number one, knowing the right things. Number two, doing the right things. Number three, thinking the right things. Number four, 
having the right relationships. Number five, aiming for the right things. Number six, having the right attitudes. Number seven, being the right things. Yeah, I I realize it's a fairly simple list. And one of the things that you'll figure out is, I mean, they all kind of revolve around this idea of the right things. Don't worry about what the right things are right now. We'll talk about those later. Let's go ahead and go through them very quickly, just so you know what direction I'm going to take with them. First, know the right things. Having good factual information counts. I think about Daniel and all the things that he knew. I guess first and foremost, he knew God. And he knew him in such a way that he had a familiarity and a comfort with him. I also think that Daniel knew something about his obligations. And he knew what his job was. He knew his identity. He knew his strengths. I think he knew his limitations. He definitely knew the time and the political scene that he was in. He knew his enemies. In other words, he really studied and figured out the facts that were before him. Whether or not they were fair... Second, in doing the right things, I want to stress the importance of taking good knowledge and acting on it. Daniel knew what was right, but he didn't simply sit on this knowledge. He acted. He worshipped. He spoke. He did big things and small things. But he wasn't a man of inaction. I think about the indecision that I have. For example, I've thought about doing this podcast for about three years now. Three years. And what I'm kicking myself for right now is, why did it take me three years to pick up a microphone and put something on Buzzsprout? I don't know, but I'm glad I'm doing it now. Get started. A friend of mine, Chris Kremitzos, says start ugly, but start. It's easy to change something that you've already started, but it's impossible to change something that you never started in the first place. Third, thinking the right things. Now, this is different than having the right information. Thinking the right things includes what preoccupies your mind. This includes things like meditation and curiosity. This is thinking about thinking. It's also figuring out how to make connections between ideas that make sense. In higher education, we would call this critical thinking, and it's eventually what we're trying to get our students to do. One of the secrets of higher education is that all professors know most of the material that they give their students will be forgotten quickly. Um, Students will cram for the midterm, they'll cram for the final exam, and then they'll forget the information that we just gave them almost as soon as they leave the classroom. But the true followers of any discipline figure out how to take and make connections with newer information and then take it to the next step. So if you're a doctor, you look at the new medical research or you hear about the new medical research, and then you start figuring out how this applies to your patients. Or you know something just sounds wrong and it needs more research. Why? Because you're somebody who is part of the discipline. That doesn't make any sense. Let me research that more to see if I can make it make sense with what I know to be true. They begin figuring out how to abandon old ways of thinking and to embrace better ways of thinking. Now, don't get lost in that, but do start identifying the thoughts that preoccupy your mind right now. Fourth is having the right relationships. Daniel records the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. I think all of us learned this as a child. And really, it's a great story for children because it has a lot of visual elements, but it's not a children's story. When you re-examine what they did there, one of the things that they did immediately was they said, look, Nebuchadnezzar, if you you want to throw us in, go ahead and throw us in. And if God chooses not to save us, please know this, you were never in control. God was always in control of this situation. I, I think about Daniel writing down that story eventually for us. These guys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, were good guys who apparently supported good choices that Daniel was making. Daniel knew kings and colleagues. But it's obvious to me that he intentionally chose relationships important to him. Your friends, your acquaintances, your co-workers, your neighbors, your Facebook followers, your, your favorite influencers that you see on Instagram, all of these people affect who you are. Let me say that again. The people that you surround yourself with change who you are. Fifth, aiming at the right things. 
And that means having goals and aspirations worth having. It means thinking about the direction you're headed on now. It includes taking a mental snapshot of where you hope to be. It also means taking a clear look at what you say your values are and how you actually end up acting. Daniel never seemed to have political goals, but he had a clear vision for who he wanted to be. I may be reading into Daniel's story, but I never get the sense that Daniel was interested in high political office. I never get the idea he was campaigning to be a chief counselor in any of the kingdoms that he served in. I don't think that was his aim. His aim was to be good and to do good. And those choices landed him in some pretty prominent positions. Well, sixth is having the right attitude. Now, this comes less from Daniel, not because I don't think Daniel had good attitudes, but Jesus talks about the importance of how you do what you do. I'm a parent. I've got four kids. And I think about forcing my kids to apologize and the semi-ridiculous command that every parent has said, and that is, say you're sorry and mean it. Tone and presentation of information makes a difference, no doubt. But attitude and motivation really trump that. Think about this. Who's allowed to criticize you? Is it somebody who hates you? Well, if it is somebody that hates you, you're not likely to take their advice. But if somebody loves you, truly loves you, you'll listen. Their criticism can be harsh, but you know it comes from a place of love. Let me say that again. The people who love you the most are the only ones who can give you the most biting criticism and have it stick. It's precisely because their attitude is loving and not spiteful or hateful or self-centered. They want you to be right, and they'll risk showing you where you're wrong. Finally, being the right things. This goes directly to your character. In some ways, it's the first six ideas put together. But there's something more to being right and being the right thing and not just doing the right thing. We're more than our thoughts and our actions. We're more than our intentions and goals. I'm not saying those should be minimized because they're clearly parts of growing up as a Christian. However, we have intrinsic worth, which is a gift from God. Can I tell you a secret you already know? You're not that good. You're a fraud. You're an imposter. You know you make the wrong choices. You know you're lazy and unkind. You know there are terrible, horrible parts of yourself. Full stop. Left alone, you're a failure. But we have all been invested with value. The value of something is only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. You know how much your home is worth? It's only worth what somebody else is willing to pay for it. Not a penny more, not a penny less. We're important because God paid a high price for us. God, the creator of the universe, pay the highest price for you and me. And if you're worth the price of God's life, do you think it might be worth investing in his purchase? Do you think it might make sense to take care of the soul he bought? Joel Mamby is an important influencer here. He was a serial CEO. He led organizations like Automaker Saab, also uh, the Hershen Family Entertainment Group. That's the company that's behind Dollywood and Silver Dollar City in Arkansas. He's written about the idol of achievement and making profits and meeting numbers and how it's important to uh, be successful. I mean, let's face it. If you're going to have a business and you're not making profits and you're not doing the right thing, you're not going to stay in business for very long. But when you're trying to have a successful company or a successful life, it's it's important to both do good, but also be good. Have a character that's worth spending time with. It's always been interesting to me that at a time when the Jewish culture was interested in finding a Messiah to overthrow Rome and establish Israel uh, as a political power in the first century, the Messiah they were praying for said, stop looking for a kingdom and start creating a character. So that's where we're going to go for the next few weeks. As a recap, my argument is that spiritual maturity is summed up in the following seven parts. Knowing the right things, doing the right things, thinking the right things, 
having the right relationships, aiming for the right things, having the right attitude, and being the right things. I don't see how you mature as a Christian without intentionally thinking about these things. Let me challenge you to do two things for me. The first is going back to the person you thought about earlier, the person you knew was a good Christian or just a good person. When you think about him or her, let me ask you to answer these seven questions. What did they know that you didn't? What did they do? What did they tell you to think about? Who did they say would help you? What goals did they want you to reach? What attitudes did they want you to change? And what kind of character did they have? For my second challenge, let's finish where we started. What is your one-sentence summary of Christianity? (laughs) You know my answer, but what's yours? Thanks for joining me. If you'd like to help support the podcast, give us a good review where you download podcasts and tell others about it. Until next time, be good and do good.